Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This is episode 25, and we're going to continue our list feature like we did last week. And this time we'll be doing top 10 van life tips, as it was so popular. We're also going to talk about an amazing place to visit called House on the Rock, a great place to find templates for your van, a way to make a Velcro wall, and whether you should use a kit or not. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for listening once again. I really appreciate you being here. I have a bit of news. It's not personal news. It's just kind of exciting news in the world of vans. The holy grail in van life is a practical, affordable air conditioning solution. This is the thing that is the biggest barrier to van life for a lot of people, and everyone has their own wacky ways of solving this problem. But without spending a ton of money or using a generator or being plugged in, no one has solved the AC problem. That is, until now, maybe. If you remember back many, many episodes ago, or maybe you haven't heard that episode, I mentioned the Toyota Prius and other hybrid vehicles have a unique advantage in the vehicular camping movement, and that is that you can leave the climate control on while you sleep because it runs off the battery, the big battery, the battery that makes the vehicle go. And as that battery draws down, the little engine in there will automatically start, recharge that battery, and go back to sleep. And this is a perfectly safe and legitimate use for the vehicle. It uses about a gallon of gas during the night, typically. That's great, but the problem, of course, has been that a Prius is a very small vehicle and not really van life, because it's not a van, even though you can do almost all the same things. So imagine if there were a Toyota Prius van. And guess what? There is. And not only that... It's all-wheel drive. That's right. For 2021, Toyota has announced a Toyota Sienna all-wheel drive hybrid van. This could be a game-changer, but I have some concerns that I'll get into. First off, this is an expensive vehicle. You're not going to get into it uh, for less than forty grand, probably. Uh, it may start at less than that, but it, you're talking about a brand-new van here. Also, it's a minivan. It's not a cargo van. You're going to have seats in there, and this is my big concern. The back of this thing is filled with airbags, and that makes it very difficult to self-build. You can't do whatever you want back there. If you take the airbags out, which is, first off, airbags are very expensive. Second off, they're explosive. You really do want to be careful when you're messing with them. But the thing that's the big deal is if you remove them, you're going to get an error such that the car may not even start. I don't exactly know how Toyota's doing that. So that's a big problem. Also, you've got walls and everything. It's all finished, so there's no insulation. And, you know, you get the idea. You have a lot of the normal problems of a minivan build or a conversion van build. But forget all that. Imagine five years from now when these vans start to get affordable. Having a van that you could just set the air conditioner on and go to sleep and not worry about it? Wow. That is a game changer. So I'm going to follow this with some interest. Again, that's the 2021 Toyota Sienna hybrid van. I'm excited. Also, uh, this thing tows 1,500 pounds, which may not sound like a lot, but hey, my NV200 tows zero. Not that it stops me. 
And it's all-wheel drive. And I have owned an all-wheel drive Sienna, and these things are capable. You may not have the greatest ground clearance in the world, but in snow, with studded tires, this thing went up and over, and it just didn't matter. It's a very capable vehicle. So anyway, I've probably talked too much about that, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about it, and hopefully it'll lead somewhere that we can solve this air conditioning problem. All right, on with the show. Last week I did an experiment and I did top 10 van life myths and it was one of the most popular episodes ever. So it seems like folks like lists. So we're going to do another list this week. And again, this is my top 10 list. I don't know who decides what's top 10. This is, I'm going to just say this is 10. There are probably a hundred, but this is the top 10 van life tips. According to me, AKA just a guy with a van. Number one, the first things you should buy when you're considering a self-build or basically any build for a van are a fire extinguisher, a smoke detector, a CO detector, a carbon monoxide detector. That's if you're going to use anything that burns in the van, such as uh, propane or butane or wood in some cases, and an explosive gas detector. Safety first, and seriously, you can lose your entire rig if you don't have a fire extinguisher on hand while you're building it. And these other things can save your life. So don't skimp on those. I've talked about these in past episodes about why you should have these things. Um, if you're going to buy the, the detectors, and please do, get the lithium battery ones. They're called the 10-year ones. They're going to work better in most conditions. Cold weather does affect batteries somewhat, so if you're camping in the cold, you have to worry about that. But anyway, I don't want to get in too much depth on e any of these. Please be safe. First, number one top tip. Number two, if you don't like camping, you're probably not going to like van life. There have been a number of articles by people who've said, I'm going to try van life, and then they go out for two nights and they hate it. It was too hot. It was too cold. The bed was too small. I kept hitting my head on the roof. I didn't like being cramped, so on and so on and so on and so on. I really believe that the best indicator of someone being successful in van life in whatever capacity they're doing it is how much they like camping. This is not the same as having an RV where you're basically creating a house that moves. This is creating a tent that moves. I think if you look at it that way, you have the best chance of success. And that doesn't mean it's uncomfortable. It's just a way of thinking about it that puts you in the best mindset for the experiences you're going to have living in a van. Number three, sleep in your van before you start your build. This is, this is huge and it sounds silly, but before you build out your van, sleep in it, spend a night in it. I don't care if it's in your driveway, take a trip if you want, put a cot or a mat or a bunch of cardboard boxes down, whatever you need to do, sleep in your van with just stuff you have, and you will have all kinds of ideas about what you need to do, what you want to do, what the problems are. You'll understand why insulation and ventilation are important. It will probably suck. Your first night may not be great, which can be true in many aspects of life, but I promise you, you will learn from that experience and it will inform every last bit of van life you have going forward. Number four, you don't really need an inverter. I know this is the thing I keep harping on. If you're just getting into this and you don't understand electricity very well, and there's no reason why you should, Know that an inverter does one thing only, and that is it takes 12 volt power, the power that comes with your van, which is DC, and converts it to 110 volts of AC, or 220 to 240 volts AC, depending on if you're overseas or not. I am US-centric. I apologize. That's where I live. 
but you don't need it. There is a 12 volt solution for just about everything in the van. And so you might say, but I already have a lamp and a fan. Why do I want to buy new ones that are 12 volts? And the answer is efficiency. Inverters use power to convert that power. As much as 20 to 30% of that power is lost. So your batteries will last longer, you'll generate less heat, and actually you'll have a little bit less noise, because inverters make noise too. So just consider that you may not need an inverter. Don't automatically include one because that's what everyone's recommending. I have one, but I rarely, rarely ever use it. Literally, the only thing I use mine for is charging my old MacBook Pro, and I usually do that while I'm driving. Everything else I have, my fans, my electric kettle, my electric oven, all my charging that I have to do, watching TV, which I do on my phone and my laptop, because why not? All that stuff is 12 volts. I just haven't found a need to have 110 volts yet. Number five, prioritize your sleeping arrangement. I don't care how nice your shower is or your bathroom or your kitchen or any of that. If you're not comfortable sleeping in your van, it's a failure and you're not going to want to use it. Start by figuring out the bed. Find a way to be comfortable. Now, if you have a smaller van like mine, an NV200, you're almost certainly going to be in a situation where you can't have a full-time bed. But make sure the bed is comfortable. I am on my third bed in my NV200 in a year. They're all pieces of furniture that can be removed. I started with an ottoman that folded out into a bed, which works great, but it has two big problems. One is that it's hard to set up, and the other is that it's not that comfortable. Then I went to a very comfy seat that has a bed that pulls out of it, but it doesn't fit in the van. I'd have to totally redo all my cabinets, which I uh, am not ready to do at this point. And finally, I ended up with this interesting, weird piece. It's a piece of a sectional from Ikea that folds in half that is actually a good compromise between the things. But point is, my bed is super comfortable in my van. I do not mind sleeping in there. It is it easily as comfortable as my home bed. And that is a huge, huge deal. Everything will suck if you can't sleep in your van. Number six, learn how insulation works. I'm not going to talk about that right now because it's a huge and controversial topic. If you want to start a fight on Facebook or on Instagram, talk about insulation. People have a lot of weird and different and incorrect opinions about insulation. Just know two things. Number one, you have to do some research before you insulate. And number two, Reflectix is not insulation. Number seven, <laughs> don't forget you're in a vehicle. Maintain your vehicle. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I can't believe it because I'm not usually this absent-minded. Well, yes, I am. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm copping to it. I, I did this. I spent so much time in the back of my van building things out and thinking about things and that I forgot about the front of the van. And I forgot to change my oil. I didn't change my oil the first time for oh, 10,000 miles, which, and that's a synthetic blend and everything, and you theoretically can go that long. It wasn't catastrophic, but that's longer than I usually go. Your vehicle matters. <laughs> Pay attention to the tires and the oil. Have a ritual by which you're paying attention to these things. It's because it's a, it's a camper van, there's a tendency to think of it differently than a car. But all that normal maintenance stuff you have to do, and it's even more important because it's where you're living. Number eight, ventilate, ventilate, ventilate. Ventilation is another key to success in van life. You need ventilation for a number of reasons. To control odors to control your comfort, but probably most important, to control moisture. 
you have to ventilate your van. You have to have as many vents as you can possibly have. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to tell you why. You go back and do what I said about sleeping in the van without modifying it all, and you'll learn really quick what all that ventilation's for. The first time I did that, I literally had icicles hanging from the ceiling in my van. Number nine, stealth isn't really stealth. People can obsess over stealth, and I did too. I was like, oh, I'm going to have my van like be completely invisible. When I go into a city, it's just going to blend in. No one's going to know it's there. And yeah, my van is pretty stealth. If I didn't tell you it was a camper van, and if you weren't a fellow van lifer, you might not realize it. But you're not fooling people. The reason no one bothers you in a stealth van is largely because they don't care. The cops know you're in a stealth van. They know. They know. And you know what? They suspect, even if you're just in a U-Haul van that you rented, and if it's parked, like on a city street, it's going to catch their attention. But as long as you're not a nuisance, they don't care. And the other group of people that know are the other van life folks. I mean, I can tell a self-built camper as it goes by, even if it says Joe's Flowers on the side. Oh, look at that. There's a vent line van air vent back there. Or, hey, they've got a solar panel. Or, you know, I can see that stuff. The tip here is that just don't go crazy about the stealth stuff. Don't sacrifice your comfort for stealth. By and large, it's the fact that people don't care that makes stealth work. Number 10. Don't carry things you don't use. Here is a great exercise to do. I did this and I, it worked out really well for me. Pack out your van with everything you think you need. Go on a trip. Go on, say, a weekend trip. And then stop and take everything out of your van. And only put back in your van the things you used. The rest of it, you probably don't need. Now, some of that stuff is emergency stuff, like maybe a first aid kit or some re emergency parts and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the cooking things, the tools, the clothes, the furniture, all that kind of stuff you brought that you didn't use. It doesn't need to go back in the van. So don't put it back in the van. And here's another adage that's true for all travel. Bring fewer things and more money. If you need something down the road, buy it, but don't buy it until you need it. Yeah, there's some frugality issues there, and obviously it's going to be cheaper to get it on Amazon before your trip than in you have to get it at a sporting goods store during your trip, but weight and space are worth a lot, and that translates to money. So don't forget that if you have to spend 20% more later, doing that saved you space, and that is also a value. So there are my top 10 van life tips. Again, I don't know how much of the top they are, but they're tips and there's 10 of them. So there you go. Okay, so I gotta do a product review. I made a modification to my van um, a few months ago. I had this, it's not really a problem, but I had this situation where I work for an organization that likes to recognize people with patches. So I have a lot of patches. I don't have anywhere to put them. I don't actually have a uniform that I can put them on, which is kind of how they're designed. And I don't really wear hats and I... I thought, well, I've got a van. So what I did was I covered one of my walls with Velcro. It turns out you can buy the non-prickly side of Velcro in big sheets and then use that to cover parts of your van. 
So I made a panel and covered it completely in this material and then attached it to the wall. And now I have a Velcro wall. So I can put my patches on there, but I can also put things like my thermometer on there, the remote control for my lights, anything that has the sticky part of Velcro attached to it. And it's super handy and configurable. I can have a flashlight on there. There's just like endless uses for this Velcro wall thing. So it was like 20 bucks to get the material. It took me maybe 20 minutes to make, and it has been a huge help. So just consider that. I'll have a link in the show notes to what I bought, but it really doesn't matter. Any kind of material that Velcro will work with works great. A word of caution, though. My van is covered with a four-way stretch carpet, which you can put Velcro on, but once you take that Velcro off, it's going to pull strings and it's going to leave a mark. So the four-way stretch carpet isn't the way to go for this. You actually want to get the actual Velcro, which is a brand name for hook and loop fastener, I know. That kind of material is best. Ah, place to visit. You may have heard that I opened the podcast with the College of Curiosity, and that's kind of the organization I've created for all my projects. And I've done many of these over the years, and most of them involve traveling to unusual places. And I have this triumvirate of curious places that everyone must make a pilgrimage to sometime in their lives if they're a curious person. This is just for the U.S. And I've mentioned two of them, but I haven't mentioned the third. The first is the City Museum in St. Louis, Missouri. The second is Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they now have one in Denver, Colorado. And the third and oldest of these, perhaps the king of all roadside attractions, is House on the Rock in Spring Green, Wisconsin. If you are a Neil Gaiman fan or caught the TV series American Gods, The first episode of season two, I believe, was filmed in House on the Rock. And watching that, you may not realize that most of that stuff is real. Especially the carousel. It's the world's largest carousel. (laughs) Although, ironically, you're not allowed to ride it. House on the Rock is very, very difficult to describe. Uh, A friend of mine by the name of George Schraub, he does the Geologic Podcast, one of the longest-running podcasts, was a guest at a conference I put on there a while ago, and his comments after going through the thing was that he needed sugar because his brain was so overloaded by what he saw. This thing started off as a weird architectural project where a guy built a house on top of a rock, and then over the years has grown into acres of strange collections, a miniature indoor village from the turn of the 20th century, a gigantic sea creature that's more than life-size. I'm not even going to try to explain this, but if you're at all curious and you happen to be in the Wisconsin area, and we're talking this is three and a half hours, four hours from Chicago, you have to go to House on the Rock. This isn't an option. Plus, you're in the middle of Wisconsin, which has wonderful camping opportunities, and it's very, very easy to van life there. The rest areas, and as they call them, waysides, are perfectly set up for you to park. They've got great facilities, and you're allowed to park there for 24 hours so long as you don't set up a tent. At least that's my understanding. Definitely check out House on the Rock. Plan to spend several hours there. And know this, you can't tell what's real and what isn't. Part of the charm of this is fantasy in that it's mixing actual real artifacts with ones that they've created. <laughs> and very few of them have signs. There, You'll just find a thing. It won't tell you what it is. What is that? I don't know. It's a thing. It, anyway. 
so please visit House on the Rock in Spring Green, Wisconsin before you die. After you visit it, it's okay to die. You have my permission, but I'd rather you didn't. Okay, here's a resource recommendation. Um, for those of us who spend a lot of time planning, I mean, I'm planning my next van. I, I love the van I have now, but I'm already planning my next one, and I probably will always continue to do that for the rest of my life. I'm kind of looking at a ProMaster right now for a number of reasons. Number one is that I'm six feet, and it's the only van wide enough that a six-foot person can sleep horizontally in. But, you know, I want to know the measurements. I want to know what will fit, like will my current furniture fit in there and all that kind of stuff. And I found a great resource for that. And this is a great resource if you're somebody just who has a lot of money and wants someone else to build their van. So this is the very first, the granddaddy of all van build companies, and it's called Sportsmobile, sportsmobile.com. You've probably seen them on sites. These are custom-built vans. They have templates and such, and you can choose things, but it's completely to your specs and, and, you know, expensive, and there's a long wait. But they've opened up their design tool for anybody. So you can go on their site and use their design tool, which will give you measurements and show you the layout of whatever van you have if you're in the U.S. They don't have all vans, but they have most of the common ones. They have the Mercedes Sprinter, the Ford Transit, Dodge Promaster, Chevy and Ford full-size vans, uh, Mercedes Metris even. They do four-wheel drive conversions. Anyway, they have all that stuff. But the point that I'm bringing out here, or at least trying to, is that they have templates for your van that you can use to get measurements and you get them from several angles, and they also have a tool where you can, like, you know, just put a sink here, and let's put a dresser here, and all that kind of stuff. For me, the biggest part was having the template. So I'll have a link in the show notes. If you want to go to sportsmobile.com, and then in their planning and ordering system, and then there's a design your own feature there. The URL's too long, but um, again, I'll have it in the show notes. Very, very cool. All right, here is a Q&A. Um, Adam, who, who I've been talking with on email, Adam seems like a great guy, and he's been super supportive and, and kind to me, so thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Adam just bought a ProMaster wagon. That is a ProMaster that has seats in it, also known as a passenger van. He and I talked a lot about insurance. If you can get a vehicle with seats in the back, you're going to have a lot easier time registering it as a regular passenger car, and you won't have restrictions on where you can drive and such. Great solution, in my opinion. But he had a question about whether he should build it himself or get a kit. Now, if you didn't know this, there are a lot of companies that make kits for vans. It's like it's like instant camper van. You basically buy this big set of stuff and you install it in your van. So it'll be some cabinets and some plumbing and a stove and like the whole thing. Just plug and play. And sometimes they have wall coverings. And in a weekend, you can be completely done with your build. That's the idea. One of the most famous of these is Wayfarer. So that's uh, wayfarervans.com if you want to check out the concept. There's also Contravans, Contravans.com, Zenvans with a Z. There's a bunch of these. Vanworks. Anyway, what we want to talk about here is the concept. Should you do this rather than build yourself? So I've made a list of pros and cons about whether you should consider this. Why would you want to do a kit? The pros. First off, it's fast. You can have your whole thing done in a weekend. And what you're going to get is professionally engineered and built, so it'll be really high quality, made just for your van. It's going to look nice. And, you know, professionals have done this. They've used their experience. So if you're brand new to this, they're going to think of things that you haven't thought of, which is a good thing. Also, one of the best features is you can take it out. 
this is going to be something that's plug and play for the most part, and you can remove it and then sell that van in almost the original condition that you got it, and then just stick it into a new van. So this build can last from van to van to van. That's kind of hard to say about most self-builds. But the cons are significant. They're expensive. I mean, you can easily spend ten, twenty thousand dollars on one of these things. I think the cheapest I've seen that actually works is maybe six, five to six thousand, maybe four. But anyway, several thousand dollars. Uh, remember, my entire build for my NV200, which has just about everything in it, is about fifteen hundred dollars. So there's a big, big price difference there. Also, they tend to ignore insulation. They're giving you a kit to put in your van. They're not insulating the walls much. And there is reason not to insulate your van. There's the school of thought that insulation isn't necessary, that you're going to just have to overcome the temperatures outside the van by producing heat on the inside of the van. If you're in a cold weather climate, there's an argument to be made not to use insulation. I don't happen to agree with it. I think you do need some insulation. So that's an issue you have with the kits. And also, you're living with something that somebody else wanted, not what you wanted necessarily. Part of the joy of building your own van is that it's exactly what you want, and this kind of takes away from that. But is it an option? Absolutely. Now let's look at some of the pros and cons of a self-build as comparison. In a self-build, you're going to get exactly what you want, and you're going to be intimately familiar with it. When something goes wrong, you're going to have a really good idea of what it is and how to fix it, because honestly, it's your fault. If something goes wrong, you created it. So that's a good thing. And you control your price completely. You could do a build for 100 bucks, or you can do a build for $30,000, whatever the heck you want to do. And you get a different sense of ownership. My van is intimately associated with me, and if I had bought it from someone else or they had done the build, I might have a different psychological relationship with it. Now, the cons of a self-build are a little bit obvious. It's extremely time-consuming. You can easily spend a year building out your van. Six months is a good time frame if you're going to only work on it on weekends. And if you're going to do it just full-time, the very least a month, probably more like six weeks. It requires dedication, some skill, tools, an idea of how plumbing works and how electric works, all those kind of things. And it modifies the van permanently in most cases. And that can mean you can't take it out and you can't sell that van as just a van anymore. Also, things can go wrong easily and you're stuck with it. And some of the stuff you do could make the van undrivable for a period of time. So those are the pros and cons. Think about those things. I don't think kits are a bad idea, but honestly, I never had the money to even consider it. So it was always going to be a self-build for me. Tales from the road. This tale is not so much a tale, but it's kind of an idea, but it's both. So I'll tell you, I was in Copenhagen last year. I think it was last year. Maybe the year before, time is all kind of mushing together. Copenhagen is a wonderful city, and I, I had a whole big group of people there that had just finished touring all of the Baltics. And we did the kind of normal Copenhagen stuff. We did the downtown area, and we ate at a bunch of different restaurants. We went to Tivoli, which is absolutely wonderful if you're into old amusement parks. Just a beautiful place. We went and visited all the castles, including um, Hamlet's Castle, which is theoretically the castle that Hamlet would have lived in if he had actually existed. And as a side note, they do something really interesting at this castle. They take you on a tour of the castle, but as you go through the rooms, they play out scenes from Hamlet in the rooms. So you're kind of getting to watch the play as you go from room to room. It's kind of a cool idea. I honestly wish we had uh, spent more time there. I could have spent a whole day at Hamlet's castle. But 
Copenhagen is wonderful, and as I'd like to do on these trips, uh, one day I left the group and just went out to explore the city by myself. And I was alone walking through Copenhagen, and, you know, I had my phone, I had internet, and I thought, hey, since I'm just exploring, what if I let someone else tell me where to go? So I got on Facebook and I said, hey guys, let's play a choose-your-own-adventure game, except that somebody else is going to choose my adventure. And I would do in the form of the old-fashioned text games, where I would describe, I see this, and since the city was on a grid system, it was really easy. I said, left, right, you basically tell me which way to go. And it worked really well for a while. I would go somewhere and take a picture and then ask people to tell me which way to go. And I'd say, to the left is a store, and to the right is a winding lane. And they would. They would say, go left go right. And then I would describe what I saw and they would tell me what to do. And unfortunately the connection got funky and I, I wasn't able to continue it as long as I wanted to, but it was a really fun, interesting way to explore a city. And that actually happened. I mean, that's the tale is that I actually did this thing, but I would really like to do it in a van. And I'm trying to figure out how I could get this to work. How can I do a van adventure where I set some parameters like I'm going to start here and every 100 miles, I'm going to stop and ask you guys which way to turn. And then have a poll or something where people will choose. And then I will follow their instructions to the letter. But they have to pick a direction or a place to go or a city within certain parameters. Like if I'm in Chicago, they can't say go to Miami and then tell me to go to L.A. I mean, that wouldn't work. It has to be within a certain number of miles. I think that could be a lot of fun, and I'm not really sure how to do it. So if you have ideas on how to accomplish that, how that could be a fun thing, and you know, maybe it could be a fundraiser or something, or I don't know, maybe we could do it as a convoy, get a bunch of vans out there, whatever. I just love the idea of having somebody else tell me where to go, <laughs> which happens more than you would think. And then just seeing what happens. It would be the ultimate serendipitous trip, and boy... Those are my favorite things is when you give up on plans and you just let things happen because usually what happens is something wonderful. So if you have ideas about that, just, hey, drop me a line. I'm at builttogo.com. You can get a hold of me there and all the different social medias and stuff. And uh, we'll talk about it. I would love to make that work somehow. Well, that was fast. Whoosh. Whole episode done. Thanks very much for listening. The music is all by Simon Wagg, a.k.a. Sir Mouge. Next week, I'm going to have a little bit of a giveaway. Nothing too exciting. And we'll talk about places that you can still go, even though many places are in lockdown. So I'm going to devote some extra time to that because that might be the entirety of our summer. Folks, thank you again for listening to episode 25. I hope this week brings you many pleasures, wonders, and much joy.